Good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis White. If you don't know me, I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. Uh, I am married to the wonderful Rachel, and we have two small children. Evelyn is three, and Ezra is uh, one, about 16 months old. And this uh, last few months, we've come to realize just quite how strong-willed our children actually are. Now, I don't know why I should expect any different, um, given my own story. I was uh, known for my mega tantrums. In fact, some of my mom's friends refused point blank to look after me. It was that bad. But, uh, th- but this summer, with our own kids, uh, it was really highlighted for us. Rachel and I had just been away for a night. My, my mom had looked after the kids. And when we came home, I'm convinced that they had decided to punish us. We got back and there was crying and shouting and screaming and throwing themselves on the floor. It was terrible. And then my son decided that he didn't quite have enough of the attention. Rachel was out of the room at the time. She was in the garage. And all of a sudden, we just finished eating dinner. My mom thrust Ezra, my son, into my arms. And my sister was crying out, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. So I thought, well, he must be choking. We just had dinner. So I flipped him over on his front, and I started hitting his back like that. Soon I realized, uh, he's not choking. So I pick him back up, and I look at him. And his eyes are rolling into the back of his head. He's gone blue in his face. He's not breathing. He's as stiff as a board. And I'm freaking out. Okay? My mom and my sister are screaming, Rachel! Rachel! So she comes, thank goodness, I didn't have a clue what to do. She came running back in, grabbed him off of my arms, took him into her arms. And when she did that, he started to kind of go limp. His eyes were still rolling, but then he started crying. He started breathing again. And he cried and cried, and eventually he kind of came back to himself. And Rachel started saying to me, Ellis, Ellis, you've got to call 911. And I'm like, whoa, he he seems okay now. (laughs) Good one, Dad. But I said, I'm not calling for an ambulance. We, I could throw a baseball and hit the hospital from here. Let's, let's get in a car and let's drive there. So we did. We drove, and after several hours of, of waiting, the wonderful doctors and nurses at St. Anthony's Hospital confirmed that we did indeed have a very strong-willed child. <laughs> Apparently, he decided to hold his breath until he passed out, which is common amongst children, as we have now discovered. We're working our way through what is probably the most prayed prayer in the history of the world, the Lord's Prayer. And this week, we come to the section of the Lord's Prayer that is all about will, the will of God. Uh, We're working out of the text of the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew's Gospel in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, Pastor Bill preached a message for us on the first half of chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come. And this week, I get to share with you about the second half of that verse. So you're welcome to turn there, but I'm pretty sure you have it memorized. Uh, Here is the word of the Lord for this morning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would have your way in this place, that your will would indeed be done. I pray that you would speak to us from your word. God, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, and God, that you would empower us to do your will. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So we're working through the Lord's Prayer. And as we've looked at this prayer, what we've noticed as a, as a preaching team, and lots of people have noticed this before, is that there are seven requests in the Lord's Prayer, or petitions, as we're calling them. There's an opening statement that precedes them, but there's seven requests. And we kind of find ourselves at the halfway point here. In the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at the first three requests. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at those last four requests that are going to come up on the screen. And, and we find ourselves at this halfway point. And as I was doing some study this week, one commentator pointed something out, which I think is pretty significant about these first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And what he pointed out is that the verb in these first three petitions is in the third person rather than in the second person. Now, I can see most of you are saying to me, what are you talking about? So let me try and break it down for you. If I were to rewrite these first three petitions in the same way that the last four were written, in that same style with a verb in the second person, instead what we would have is, hallow your name, bring your kingdom, do your will. Now, this isn't what we pray, but if we were to pray that, there's a sense in which what we be praying is, is saying, God, it's, it's entirely up to you to hallow your name. It's entirely up to you to bring your kingdom. It's entirely up to you to do your will. But we don't pray those words. Instead, we pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And what this commentator pointed out, which I think is significant, is that that means we have a part to play in the hallowing of God's name, in the bringing of his kingdom, and in the doing of his will. It's similar to my relationship with my three-year-old, Evelyn, her relationship with her earthly father, me. There are certain things that I do by myself, okay? I go out, earn money in order to put food on the table. She doesn't do that. I do that alone. But when dinner time is over and it's time to clear the food off of the table, I choose to invite her to join in with me on that task. That doesn't mean she does join in with me on that task. But I choose to invite her and ask her to join me in that task. I don't have to, but I choose to have her participate. And in the same way, in these first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, God has chosen to have us participate in the hallowing of his name, in the bringing of his kingdom, in the doing of his will. In the last four petitions, which we'll get to next week, it doesn't appear that God is asking us to participate. We're reliant holy upon God, but we'll get to that. But in these first three, we have a role to play. His people have a role to play. And today we're thinking about what is our role to play in the doing of God's will. Another thing I noticed as I did some reading this week about that phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that phrase appears in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. But Luke's gospel also contains a version of the Lord's Prayer, and that phrase is not in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, lots of scholars have answers for why this may be, and no one has really agreed upon what the answer is. But here's one thing it does show us. It shows us a particular emphasis of Matthew as he paints this picture of Jesus' ministry. Okay, Matthew's gospel places a really strong emphasis upon being disciples, what it looked like to be a disciple and what it looks like to make disciples. There are some things we find in Matthew's gospel that we don't find in the other ones. 
And one of those things is this idea that is emphasized of doing the will of God. In fact, one commentator wrote it this way, doing the will of God is for Matthew a potent summary of the disciple life. Matthew equates doing the will of God with being a disciple. Okay, not only does does Matthew bring up this idea of doing the will of God here in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, but at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in a kind of summary statement that Jesus makes, he says the following, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's not about paying lip service to me. It's not about saying, yes, you're my Lord, and then doing whatever you want. Those who enter the kingdom of heaven are the, one, are the ones who do the Father's will. Jesus comes back to this idea again later in Matthew's gospel in chapter 12. He's sitting with some people in a house, and Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers come to find him. And they can't get in, so they send a messenger inside. The messenger tells Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus responds with a question. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretches out his hands towards his disciples. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And he answers his own question with these words. He says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is saying that to be a part of God's family is not about whether you are related by blood to Jesus. It's about whether you do the will of the Father. For Matthew, his definition in some senses of being a disciple, his summary of what it means to be a disciple is to do the will of God. And that's all fun and games, until we start to think about what that really means if we're to follow Jesus. How hard it really is to do God's will. In fact, I might go as far to say it's actually impossible to fully do God's will. If we read around the Lord's Prayer text in the book of Matthew, if we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7, we see some of what God's will is for the disciples, for us today. Listen to some of the things that are God's will. God's will is not only that you don't murder, which is easy for the majority of us, but God's will is that you don't even get angry, that you don't even call someone a fool. How many of us have done that? It's not only God's will that you don't commit adultery, again, easy for a lot of us, but it's God's will that you don't even look lustfully at another person. How many of us have done that? It's God's will that we keep our word always, always. It's God's will that we love our enemies. It's God's will that we pray for those who persecute us. It's God's will that we don't find happiness in material things. It's God's will that we aren't anxious. It's God's will that we don't judge It's God's will that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. As I look at my life, I can't pick out 30 minutes where I did God's will. Fully, wholly. We cannot 
fully do God's will. So what hope is there of entering the kingdom of heaven? What hope is there of being in God's family? What hope is there of being a disciple of Jesus? Well, there was one man who did do the will of the Father, and that was his son, Jesus. And it wasn't always easy for him to do the will of his Father. And Matthew gives us a glimpse of how hard it was for Jesus to do his Father's will at the end of his gospel. On the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus and his disciples had their last supper together. And after the supper, Jesus took his disciples out to the garden of Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, his three closest friends, three of the disciples. And in what is probably the most transparent, authentic moment in the whole of Jesus' ministry, he let those three know exactly how much he was struggling to do the Father's will. This is what he said to them. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. You see, Jesus knew that the Father's will was for him to go to the cross. Jesus knew that he had to be that perfect sacrifice for the sin of God's people, such that they could be restored to right relationship with their heavenly Father, so that they could be brought back into God's family. Jesus knew that was the Father's will. But he also knew that the Father's will entailed him experiencing something he had never experienced before. If he was to do the Father's will, if he was to go to the cross, then in that moment as the sin of all of humanity was heaped upon him, he would experience the feeling of separation from his heavenly Father, something he'd never known before. And the thought of this, the pressure of doing the Father's will, was bearing down upon him in this moment in the garden. It was crushing his soul to the point of death. And so he turns to his friends and he says, Stay here and watch with me. And Jesus goes a little further and he falls down on his face. And he prays these words. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays, Father, Daddy, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can go to the cross. This is so much to bear. Father, if there is any other way that we can accomplish what you want to accomplish, please provide that way. If there's any other way we can do this, please. But nevertheless, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what you want. And in this moment, Jesus shows for us what it really looks like to pray that prayer, thy will be done. He shows us what it looks like for us when we find ourselves in a situation where everything is crushing down upon us, where we feel like life is swallowing us up, that we can turn to our Father and we can cry out, Father, if there's another way, please show me it. Please lead me in it. But that we must end our prayer with the words, not what I want but 
what you want. And here's the amazing thing about the reality that, of Jesus praying that prayer. Because in that moment, he made a decision to go to the cross. And because he made a decision to go to the cross and fulfilled that and went to the cross, we are now set free from all those times that we haven't done the Father's will. All those times we failed. Because on the cross was heaped upon Jesus all of the times we didn't go the Father's way. All of the times that we turned our back on him. They were placed upon Jesus and he took the penalty for those times. And not only the times in the past when we didn't go the Father's way, but all the times in the future that we still yet to go the Father's way were taken and placed upon Jesus on the cross. He bore the penalty of those times and now we stand free. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The truth is we can't always go God's way, but we don't have to because Jesus already went God's way to the cross. We don't have to do God's will in order to please God. Jesus already pleased God on our behalf. We don't have to do God's will in order to get right with God because Jesus already got right with God on our behalf. And we don't have to do God's will in order to gain eternal life because Jesus already gained eternal life on our behalf. The cross is the ultimate answer to the prayer, thy will be done. In Christ, we have already done God's will. And we only have to believe it. So if we've already done it in Christ, if we don't have to do God's will, why bother? Why participate with God in this prayer of your will be done if we've already done so? Why? Because God's way is so much better. God's will for us is so much better than our will for ourselves. Last month, I sat down and I looked at everything that I needed to accomplish in my education before ordination in February. And I said to myself, okay, if I could do everything in the minimum possible time, cutting as many corners as possible, how long would it take me? And I plotted it out on the calendar. And I had no margin for error. None at all. And the pressure was weighing down on me. It, was, it felt like a, a big burden. My family had already booked flights to be here. There was money on the table. I had to get this done. And so I made a plan. I put stuff in my schedule. And I started to control my time. I started to say to myself, this is my time. I'm going to say what I want to do with it. And no one else is going to have my time for their problems. Well, let me tell you, that didn't go too well. (laughs) On several occasions, I really hurt some people by the way I responded to their requests. And God convicted me of this one morning as I took a prayer walk. And this is what I felt him saying to me. I felt him saying, Alice, it's not your time. It's my time. And I knew in that moment I had to make a decision that I couldn't do it my way, that I had to do it God's way. And after wrestling it out with God on this prayer walk as I came back to my house, I I felt like a burden had been lifted. 
I felt more free. Because I was trusting that God was going to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish on his time. And that I could, I could leave him to do that. And I didn't have to do it all myself. And then, the next two days, in two conversations with, with two different tutors who were tutoring me in, in, in parts of my education, these, these two tutors, they, they went to bat for me. They advocated for me on behalf to superiors to say, hey, Ellis has already done some of this work elsewhere. I don't think he needs to do this. And in those two days, three weeks' worth of work was wiped off of my schedule. <laughs> okay, now, now three weeks. That may not seem like a lot, but to me that was huge. That gave me room to breathe. That gave me margin for error. You know, God's way is so much better than our way. God's will is so much better than our will. The Father is so, so good. And his will for us is so good. I don't have to go God's way, but I want to. We don't have to do God's will, but it is so much better than our will. And maybe you're sitting here today and and you know where it is in your life, you have to go God's way. God's already been speaking to you. You know where your Garden of Gethsemane moment is. You know, you know the place in your life where you have to go, God, I give up. I surrender. I submit myself to you, your way, not my way. Maybe you already know that. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Alice, I agree with you. God's way is better. God's will is better. I, I want to do what the Father wants, but I don't know what the Father wants. I'm in this situation, I'm, I'm in this circumstance, and I just don't know which way to turn. I, I don't know what to do. Well, this morning, I want to finish by touching on an aspect of prayer, which we haven't talked about yet, but it's an important aspect, and that is listening prayer. See, prayer ultimately is all about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. As Pastor Mark spoke to us about in the first two weeks of this series. And in a relationship... Things go two ways. It's not just about speaking, but it's also about listening. And all week, I toyed with this idea of, should I, should I be talking about listening prayer? Shouldn't I? But God kept bringing it up throughout my week. Okay, on Sunday night after the young family's gathering, my wife Rachel said to me that in, in the women's breakout session, they were talking all about this, this God's reply column that's in the Chapel Hill prayer journals and talking about how do we use that? What is, how does that work? Then on Wednesday night at God's Space, Eric England spent the whole evening teaching about listening. And the first half of the evening was all about how do we listen to God? And then on Thursday morning, as I uh, met with my life group at the Y, we, we work through the prayer journal. We, we do the, the life group guides in the prayer journal. The prayer exercise for this week was listening prayer. Okay, it was almost like God was speaking to me. And I think for many of us, that's the reality. God is speaking to us. But we imagine that if God is going to speak to us, it's going to come in some lightning bolt in the sky moment. Or, or like last night's storm of the century. And I'm reminded of the story of a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. Elijah had just gone to, to kind of battle for the Lord against the prophets of a false god called Baal. 
And in the battle, God had come through as victorious, but Elijah came out of it with a deep sense of depression, and he ran away to the mountains. But God met him in the mountains, and God's presence passed by him. And this is what 1 Kings 19 says. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. God was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. God was in the low whisper. Or as the notes at, my, at the bottom of my Bible say, it could be translated a thin silence. I wonder if for many of us we're expecting God to speak to us in the wind or the earthquake or the fire in a way that's clear and plain and obvious. And the reality is he has spoken to us in a way that's clear and plain and obvious. And you can go home and read it. But I also believe that God is speaking to us continually on a daily basis. But that so often our lives are too busy, too noisy for us to hear him. Because God is in that thin silence. But you can create that thin silence. Maybe it's on a walk. Maybe it's in your car with the radio turned off. Maybe it's last thing at night as you're laying down on your pillow. Maybe it's first thing in the morning before the sun has even risen. We can create moments of thin silence in our lives. And I believe in those moments God will speak and we will hear him. These past few months since my my father passed away, I've been going to see a counselor and last month Rachel joined me not because our marriage is having difficulties, but because our circumstances have changed. And we want to make sure that we're adapting to these new circumstances. And our counselors have, have emphasized uh, the, that we need to know one another's relational needs. And over time, I've, I've come to know Rachel's relational needs better, but I still need to take the time to stop, quieten myself. Say to Rachel, Rachel, I love you. I want to love you as best I can. Can you tell me what you really need at this time? And then, in that moment of quiet, that thin silence, I need to listen and hear what she says. In the same way, I believe that if we want to know God's will, that we need to quieten our thoughts. We need to create that moment of thin silence, that we need to go to him and say, God, how are you speaking? What do you want? What is your will? And just as I continue to practice this with Rachel and I begin to to know her needs more and more over time, I believe that if we continue to practice this, we continue to create moments of thin silence in our lives, that we will learn God's will, that we will hear from God, that we will recognize his voice. And so I want to lead us in a practice of that this morning. It's the same practice I led my life group in on Thursday morning. And it's a practice that's been done in the church for hundreds of years. 
It's known as Lectio Divina. It means divine reading in Latin. And this is how it works. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to take a comfortable posture, a posture that you can hold without putting strain and stress on your body. And then I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read slowly and deliberately the Bible text that I referenced earlier of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as I read it, I want you to listen. Listen for a word or a phrase that jumps out at you. And I want you to take hold of that word or that phrase, and I want you to begin to turn it over in your mind and in your heart. I want you to begin to notice how are you feeling? What sensations are you experiencing in your body? Is your stomach tightening? Are your shoulders relaxing? Are your fists clenching? What's going on in your body? And what questions is it causing you to ask? I'm going to give you a moment of silence after I read in order to do that. And then I'm going to read the passage again, again, slowly, deliberately. And this time I want you to be asking, God, what are you saying to me? How are you speaking to me this morning? And again, I'll give a moment of silence after that. And then I will end with a prayer. And after I've prayed, we're going to be led in one final song. So that's what's going to happen. So I want you to take that comfortable posture right now, one you can hold for several minutes without straining and stressing your body. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to listen to these words and listen for a word or a phrase that jumps out at you. Turn it over in your heart and mind. How are you feeling? How does it make you feel? What questions is it causing you to ask? Listen to the word of God. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Take a moment of silence. And now this time as I read, ask yourself, what is God saying to me? Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Take another moment of silence. Father, I pray that you would seal into our hearts your will, that we would know your will. God, I pray that you would help us to create moments of thin silence in our lives when we can ask you, Father, how are you speaking? What are you saying? And God, I pray that you would help us to be in tune with your voice, that we may know your voice, like the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd. And God, I pray that your spirit would empower us, that we may surrender our will to your will, that we may be able to go your way instead of our way. And God, I pray that we would be a church that can stand together and say with one voice, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen.